what do I do? Like, what is like, what do I play? What would I, what would I say? That is, that is like my thing. And um, I'm learning a lot about what I put interviewees through. Hey everyone, welcome to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. This is Davy Jones. And yes, I know this is not the voice that you're used to hearing. Our beloved host Keith Billick and I decided to kind of flip the script and have me do the intro, which is completely new to me, so we'll see how this goes. Keith started this podcast almost exactly five years ago now, and he started it with interviewing me. So Keith thought it'd be some nice symmetry if I interviewed him for the anniversary. A couple of important pieces of business to get out of the way before we get to Keith. First of all, we'd like to thank a Patreon supporter of the show. His name is Stephen Reese. He's a Hall of Honor patron. And we don't know too much about Stephen. Um, he's, he's somewhat mysterious, but we'd just like to thank him. Thanks, Stephen. On that note, if you can go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and become a patron, it would just be really appreciated. It, it's kind of hard to overstate how much work Keith puts into the show, and it just really helps him out a lot. Go to banjopodcast.com for merch. I've got the coveted purple t-shirt that I probably wear a little bit too much, and uh, I, I think I have at least two or three stickers on my case, the, the, the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast stickers. They're, they're great. If you have questions or comments, or maybe you want to send Keith a cease and desist letter, you can email the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. So let's get to know Keith a little bit better. He's been a good buddy of mine for many years. He's a fellow Michigan guy. And not only do I admire him as a podcaster and an interviewer and an archivist of sorts, I admire him a lot as a player. And I'm excited for you out there in Picky Fingers land to hear a little bit more about what makes him tick. Because he's a, he's a really impressive banjo player. In many ways, he's one of my favorites. So let's give a really warm Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast welcome to Keith Billick. Well, Keith, how's it feel to be on the other side of the mic? Awful. <laughs> I, I like it over there better. I mean, you're not on the other side of anything. It's it's a very symmetrical setup. There's, yeah. there's two microphones and and we're each sitting in, in chairs, but... That's true. It's all metaphorical. Um, welcome to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Thanks for having me, David. <laughs> of course. I'm, I'm honored. I'm, I'm very excited to have you, Keith. This is something you've been thinking about doing for a little while now. And, and I, I think in your, in your Midwestern 
you know, ah, shucks, niceness, you've resisted it for a little while. Yeah, successfully. But the, you know, the masses have spoken, the, you know, the popular demand won me over. So I couldn't hold out much longer. And also, I just didn't have any other interviews recorded. So I really need this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I I know, I know that you're being self-deprecating, but also that is, that is relatively true. I think, I think that everyone that listens to this podcast genuinely admires you as a, as an interviewer, as, as an archiver, as someone that, that is putting a lot of work into this. And they're curious about who you are as both as a player and as a, as a person and... That's what I've come to accept, you know. Yeah. I've, I've had talks mostly with, like, Danielle, and it usually starts off with me being like, if I was just another banjo player, I wouldn't be interviewing me. Like, what What the heck? And and she says some version of what you just said, that, you know, you, right. you, people have gotten to know you in a certain way, and they're curious about mm-hmm. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe some yeah. other ways. So that's and cool. You're, and you're doing it, and, and <laughs> not, not many other people have done it, or... At, you know, I think you were the, I'm just going to say you were the first real serious banjo podcaster. You might have been the first banjo podcast. Yeah, I, I did a bit of research on that before I even started, because keep in mind, if if there had been a banjo podcast, I wouldn't have even thought to do it. That's you, all oh, I you, wanted to do. You would have thought that this path has been tread. Oh, if this, yeah, if my podcast existed, like no way would it. I have done it. I was just wanting to listen to Let that, be a that message type of... to any new banjo podcasters out there. <laughs> <laughs> does that mean start it and they'll make me quit? Or does that mean... That means that you stay will off my kill lawn. them yeah. mafia style <laughs> and show up on their porch with a basket of flowers and a gun hidden in it. Probably just hire you to do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's start with you telling me a little bit about yourself. Your history at the banjo. Okay. Well, I'm I'm a Michigan born and raised. Been here my whole life. Moved around the state a bit. I grew up in a town called Midland. Have always been interested in music. Grew up, played like saxophone in the school band. Did some piano lessons. Took up guitar in high school. And that you know the 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 saxophone and the piano were sort of just like the things you do when you're a kid. When I found guitar. It was something that I was like driven to do. Like I really enjoyed it. Felt like I wanted to be good at it and I worked at it really hard. But I never picked up the band. I I actually never at any point chose to be a banjo player. The banjo mostly chose me. Like I went off to school, Michigan State University, and was still a guitar player. But just like a lot of things kind of converged to turn me into a banjo player. The I was into all sorts of music, but mostly I was kind of like a I was definitely into the like jam band, improvisational rock scene. Yeah. And through that, I became aware of the Flectones. Uh, so I went to see the Flectones, um, but that's actually not what shifted me toward the banjo. It was like the opening band for the Flectones, that tour was Alison Krauss and Union Station. Oh. And I heard every time the dude with the weird slide guitar took a solo, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that guy is ripping it up. Yeah. And I'd never seen anything like it. And that was before cell phones and internet, of course, or, you know, mostly before internet. And so I was like, I have to pay attention to what this guy's name is so I can look him up. And Allison introduced him as, you know, Jerry Douglas, the best right. dobro player in the world. And yeah. I had seen... Did she say the best dobro player She in the literally world? said that and I believed it. I had, I had seen exactly <laughs> she, one dobro player up to that point. So it's a good when place I, to start. Yeah, yeah. 
little did I know. And, mm-hmm. if, and come to find out he's abs- that was he is a true that. statement. So, you know, I get back to campus and go to CD stores or whatever and look for Jerry Douglas. So that was like the first bluegrass album I bought um, was a Jerry Douglas album. So there was that, like it started just creeping in. Like I started to have music around me that had banjo. It still didn't occur to me that like I would want to play it. I was a guitar player that so I didn't want to play something else. Was, who was playing banjo with, with Allison at that? It would have been Ron Block. Mi- okay, Ron Block. Okay. Um, and even then it was like Ron Block and, 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 and Bela. I saw Bela at that show. And it yeah. didn't hit you. I mean, they, they were awesome. Right. I loved, I loved Bela's plan. I loved seeing Victor do his yeah. thing. It was great. But it, like I said, it just didn't even occur to me that that was something I could do. I didn't grow up around banjo playing. I had never, other than that, I'd never like seen people play the banjo. But then, um, you know, a few other things happened too. Like I said, it was sort of like a lot of things converging. Uh, there was sort of an uprisal in the the like MSU campus in those days. Uh, a lot of people around here will know the band Steppin' in it. Yep. They've been like real popular on the scene, but that's when they were just sort of like a really popular college band. It's Dominic Davis was the bass player, right? Yeah. Dom- it was, yeah. It was Jack White's bass player. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, Josh Davis, no relation to Dominic. Right. Uh, was the lead singer and he's, he's gone on to do really great things. They were kind of doing, for lack of a better comparison, sort of like a leftover salmony thing. Right. It's just sort of like a real lively, uh, multi-influenced, but like rootsy based. Right. Um, yeah. and, and were really popular. So they were playing some, some bluegrass and they had bluegrass instruments and they were playing mandolins and fiddles and stuff. So it, it was, was kind a of a cool player? thing. Their drummer would play banjo when they did like little bluegrass sets. Oh, cool. It was sort of like a cool thing all of a sudden Mm -hmm. for like college kids. What year is this? Like 2000, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, the the straw that broke my banjo resistance camel's back, I guess, was uh, a good friend of mine. Shout out to Katie Jane. I lived in a, you know, a college flop house with a bunch of dudes and a bunch of us were guitar players Mm -hmm. and she had found a banjo in her mom's house. She's from Alabama. Just this piece of crap, Ida, you know, like a bottle cap banjo in terrible shape, rusty frets, rusty strings, friction tuners, just, just the whole thing that everyone probably started with. Everyone starts on one. Yeah. So she... She basically like donated that to my college flop house just because there were a bunch of dudes who liked instruments. And between all of us, there was myself and another guy who showed the most interest in it. And so I, all it took was me taking like a little bit of time with it. And, so, you know, I, so I did, just loved it. Did it come to you relatively naturally or how did you learn at first? What, it, what, what materials or did you learn or did you have a teacher no, I like to this day, I've not really, I've, I've had a couple lessons, but no, I've never really like taken lessons as like a curriculum of any sort, uh, which used to be sort of like a, a badge of honor in a way, but I'm coming to like realize sure. that like, that's probably not good. I probably could have used <laughs> a lot of lessons. So the, the, the other fellow who I lived with, shout out to Nick Mursky, one of my oldest friends, met him in first grade and was like still roommates with him through college. He and I were the ones who took interest in it, and he went to Elderly to buy us some banjo books. Cool. And I think he took it in to like get it restrung or something too. Yeah. And the books that he got us to learn banjo were uh, Tom Hanway has this like Celtic songbook, 
which is great, but it's not a, a beginner book. Yeah, I think I have that one actually. It's yeah, great. It's it's a it's difficult stuff. Super hard. Yeah, a lot of single strings, sort of. A lot yeah. of everything, and a lot of like Irish ornaments, right, and stuff like that. It's all swung to yeah. And um, the other book he got was uh, a Bach for banjo book by John <laughs> Bullard, which again is like not. Uh, I have one of those as well. <laughs> yeah, right. Again, not a not a beginner book, but it's what we had. And I knew how to read tab because I played guitar. So I started like working on these Irish tunes and it did have a handful of those like crossover Irish tunes that have made it into like bluegrass. So I was friends with those stepping in it guys and they went through that book and sort of like circled the ones that I would be able to like play with bluegrassers. So there was like Turkey in the Straw. Yeah. Um, red haired boy, probably maybe. red. Yeah. I think red haired boys in there, like Arkansas travelers, some, just yeah. some of those like Irish crossover yep. songs. So that's what I was working on. And I still remember, you know, thinking that I was doing really well. I was learning, Oh, Blackberry Blossom was another one. And I'd, I'd be playing it probably basically exactly like this. And, and thinking it's good. And then I go to a, a jam or something like that. And people are playing Blackberry Blossom. And I couldn't even believe that it was the same tune that I'd been working on. I'm like, wow, I just really speed have wise or speed inflection. And well, it was, yeah, it was so much faster than that. I mean, you know how people usually play it Yeah. that I at first couldn't even recognize that it was the same tune. And then of course I was, lis I started listening to bluegrass too. And I just wasn't, aware that what I was doing wasn't the same thing that the bluegrass players were doing. I kept thinking that if I like just kept getting better at that, that I would just end up sounding that way. And right. I just didn't have, I just didn't know anything about. Yeah. It's, playing, it's so. interesting. It's cause it's a, it's an interesting sort of top down approach where you're learning heavy melodic style and single string style before you'd even, I didn't even knew, you didn't even know what, it sounds like no. Scrug style was and and when did you when did you come to Earl or, or you know bluegrass style or Scrug style when, well, like, when did you get to that yeah I mean I, I was listening to that right away like I got flattened Scruggs and I got um you know just a, bu a bunch of like the, right. the the staple material and like I said I just thought that I just needed to get better and then I would sound like that and yeah. I wasn't even playing the right stuff right I remember when it hit me my listeners have heard me talk frequently about Dolly Parton's The Grass is Blue album. Yeah, it's a great record. Yeah. It's an awesome record, but there's a specific part in, I think it's the first tune, Traveling Prayer, mm -hmm. where there's the band breaks down and it's just her singing with rolling banjo behind it. I remember hearing that and be like, that, that's it. Whatever that yeah. is, is like what I need to figure out. Yeah, there's something really magical to that, that really simple, you know, two to five slide forward roll. Yeah, and I don't know why it never up. like computed before, uh -huh. but it just took me like that one time hearing it being like, whatever he's doing is not what I'm doing, but that's like what I need to do. And so, you know, then I started <laughs> trying to figure out how that. that, how that works. Yeah. 
So what was your what was your transition into playing with people? When did you start actually actually doing this this thing with other I was, other humans? I was super duper lucky in that way because those stepping in it guys that I was telling you about, they were doing bluegrass nights. I want to say right. it was like every Tuesday or whatever it was. Yeah. And they would let me come along and cool. basically just get my butt whooped for like three hours. Like I didn't even know chord shapes. Right. I didn't know anything, but I was standing there hearing other people play bluegrass music. And I think it just started to slowly chip away at like, I was listening to it all the time. I was obsessed with it. They were playing songs that maybe I'd heard on records. And so in my mind, I could be standing there hearing what I should be playing and not being able to do it. But at least in my mind, I was like, ooh, that's, that's what I need to go work on so that the next time I come here for bluegrass night, I don't get stuck not knowing how to do, you know, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, could, yeah. I could hear what I was supposed to be doing and I just didn't have the, the skills to do it. Yeah, it woke me into shape. So I, I was playing with those guys, but, you know, they were in a band and I wasn't in stepping in it and I needed to find my own thing to focus on. So I would, I would frequent elderly instruments as mm -hmm. like any good acoustic player anywhere, anywhere around Lansing right. goes. Uh, and ran into a few employees there who uh, played mandolin and bass. And they were talking about like sort of their own bluegrass night that right. they were going to. And you've already alluded to my like Midwestern polite nature. So in, in complete <laughs> neglect of my nature, I butted my way into their conversation and like got myself invited to this jam that was... Uh, Brandon Foote and yep. Joe Bakaitis and, mm -hmm. and they were a little more on my skill level. Yeah. And so the, we were like just learning together. Right. Basically from the ground up, we would communicate about, Hey, I heard this cool song. Let's play this next week at our bluegrass night. And the, the first band I was in called Hot Toe Midi, I was in that like within a year of when I started playing and it was basically just made up of the people who kept going to those bluegrass nights. Yeah. It was just like it whittled itself down into a band. good way to it's a good way to learn i feel like with other people who are of a similar skill level or you know knowledge level because you're all hungry for this you, you're yeah. craving this this information that like you you hear something and you bring it to them and you you ask what what is this how do how do we do this and yeah. then you, you eat it up together yeah that's a, a good way to do it yeah we all have the similar passion and um 
and stepping in, it was still around. So we still had, you know, we really looked up to those guys. I still look up to the, all those guys. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a good balance between having like some slightly, <laughs> it's weird to call them elder statesmen because they're all, all college kids too, but right. you know, they've been down the road a little bit before us. So yeah, it was just a great community, a great scene. And then like, that's when O Brother Barato came right. out. And Which so then a big like, explosion. and then, so yeah. we were like getting gigs and stuff yeah. like at, a time when like, quite honestly, I probably had no business playing my banjo in public. But, Do you uh, still have business playing your banjo in public? <laughs> I, I don't have as many gigs as I did then, I'll tell you that much, so. Yeah, I think that that was a very, um, that was a very interesting and probably fruitful time for people in Roots music and people learning Roots music. And it was there's great. A, there's a lot of enthusiasm for it. People, I mean, I feel like in this area, especially or in the North more, or whatever you want to say, like, people were it was there there were these little cultural pop cultural touchstones that 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 happened oh, oh brother where out that was a very good one i think mm-hmm. i think cold mountain was around that time maybe a few years later too yeah a l- little later it didn't you, quite get like the it would didn't ex- it didn't explode in the same way but yeah that early 2000s era for roots music and and banjo i think especially was was really fruitful yeah it Not really was in good and, ways too <laughs> Not, it's not always in good ways, but yeah. you know, it was just cool that we were in a position to like take advantage of, you know, a, a rising popularity. And that's, and like, that's when like Yonder Mountain String Band was really yeah. hitting. Oh, I was really and that was in high school. Yeah. That was mind blowing. Going to see them at like the Blind Pig in Ann Arbor mm-hmm. and seeing like, I'm at a bar with people drinking and dancing and it's like having bluegrass. fun and it's bluegrass and yeah. like, holy cow, I didn't know this was like an option. Yeah. So like that was it's awesome. Probably one of the first jam grass bands of the modern era, I would say, right? Not de- certainly not the first jam grass band, but yeah, like of of the almost like fish grateful dead culture kind exactly. of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the jam band culture. Basically. The jam band culture. Yeah. Yeah, it crossed over really really heavily. Totally agree. So yeah, like we were in a good position to sort of just ride on those coattails of like stepping in it at on a local in a local way but then also things like oh brother where art thou and the undermountain string band and more of like a, a regional slash national way not that we ever toured nationally but like yeah there was just a, an increase in popularity across the board right right so you how long after that was it before you played with Lindsay lou it was a while i actually took um several years i don't want to say off because I, I always like had my hand in uh, banjo, but I actually joined um, a Pink Floyd tribute band, right? Uh, where I was playing like everything but banjo. I was playing keyboards and saxophones and electric guitars and all sorts of crazy business. So that's like sort of a weird like footnote in my musical past. But I would go like weeks without touching my banjo. Yeah, and. It was fine. I got to play like really cool, huge rock shows. And there's something to be said for that. A lot of energy and stuff. But it kind of kept coming down to like anytime I would get my banjo out and go to a jam, I'd be like, oh, this like, this is what I need to be doing. So uh, the Lindsay Lou thing didn't pop up probably until like 2009 or 2010, maybe. Okay. So much later. Yeah. Yeah. And she'd been around the scene for a little bit at that point already right i mean kind of not really like the flat so the flat bellies 
were a band of like, so this is after I was out of college now. So like a bunch of the college age kids at, at that point formed a bluegrass band called the flat bellies. And, uh, was which, Josh which Lindsay band? was, there were two Josh's in that band. Yeah. Josh, jo brand? Josh Rilko and Josh brand. Yeah. Yeah. Josh okay. brand played the banjo. And so they, by that point I was working at elderly. And so then they were like basically me five years earlier. Right. The, the dudes who would like be playing bluegrass and come into the store. So I would like just go pick tunes with them. And, uh, Lindsay would be like, and, and she was dating Josh at the time. She would like tag along and she was really shy and she'd stand in the back while we would be picking songs. But every once in a while, you'd like sort of hear this voice kind of chiming in <laughs> from the back. And it like anyone who heard it at all would be like, why are you back there? You should yeah, be like, yeah. That's a good, fronting this that's whole a good thing. voice yeah right which you know clearly she's she's doing uh, her thing a now, diva yeah. now so she <laughs> she got over the shyness so yeah that that was a bit later and then eventually um josh brand the banjo player moved away to nashville and so there's sort of like a reshuffling and as part of that reshuffling Lindsay was writing a bunch of songs and hired the flat bellies plus me to do right. a recording project for her. The grandsons of the moon generally thought the girls were sweet. Every day they'd cross the road, the timber farm they grew. Year by year they grew and grew until one day it came. One of those little timber girls went and changed her name. That old farm hostel stands little off the road. Weather the seasons and watch the trees grow. There's a romance and all in between Simple words and melodies that can't be explained Oh, simple words and melodies that can't be explained uh, So we did that and then ended up sticking with that band and it was Lindsay Lou and the Flatbellies, and that's that's what I did for the next few years until they uh, found some like bigger, greener pastures and, and pursued they that. They moved down south, yeah. yeah and you which, did a couple records with them, right? Well, I did Lindsay's first album, which is just under Lindsay Lou. Okay. And then there's a Lindsay Lou and the Flatbellies record, which I did. And then we did a few other random recordings. We did like a collaboration with Red Tail Ring and some other random things mm -hmm. but so yeah i was i was in there for a few years but i was more or less tied to michigan for several reasons so when they were touring the country and moving to nashville that you know the writing was on the wall for me that that right. wasn't something i was going to be able to do right uh which broke my heart in a way but i'm like so incredibly proud of like what some of those people have yeah they're doing great stuff yeah it's great yeah and that that's a good that that music is a good mix of i mean there is some sort of more bluegrassy kind of hard driving a little bit more traditional stuff but also there's a little bit more kind of bluesy material and more more kind of singer songwritery stuff right yeah it's just Lindsay's songs yeah. you know she didn't she didn't grow up with bluegrass either she writes them how she writes them yeah yeah um and she yeah that's like when she was finding her style and finding her voice what's a good if you had to say you're playing in that in that band what's a good song that that you feel like is a good showcase of what you what you do i can name a few the if it, just in terms of like hot shot banjo stuff let's hear it um there's uh a song called hats off okay that's like you're wrong. 
really fast. flat which was crazy did you play without a capo no no i played it with a capo but even even with a capo playing out of e flat and going up the neck it like it looks funny you know yeah yeah Yeah. so um so i was pretty proud of that uh there's some other tunes that were just like arranged really well that i'm proud to have had a part of like there's um there's a portion at the end of a song called leaves and pods that i sort of wrote I, I call it like my Bach section. I don't know if it's really that Bachy, but I, it just. Can you play it? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I can edit in a sound. You're sound, gonna edit it a sound, sound sample. Yeah, no, I, hear, I probably couldn't play it. Let's hear that. <laughs> So I guess this 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 segues nicely into what 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 do you feel like is your what are your strengths as a player what are your unique traits that that sort of make you you because from from my perspective I think it should be said that not only are you a very you know knowledgeable banjo person and not only do you do this incredible archival thing that you're doing but you're a very very accomplished and very impressive banjo player. I would, I would really like to say that and make sure everyone knows that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I, I think, oh, what did you ask? What is, what is unique about mm-hmm. my playing or something? I don't know that I do anything that like nobody else has done. Uh, but I think what like makes me maybe a valuable person to be in a band with or something like that, you know, just what I said, like I try to take on a lot of arranging. I know that I'm not I'm not a front person. I'm not writing a lot of material. Mm-hmm. So I try to be there to take seriously people's songs. And I definitely did that with like Lindsay's and I continue to do that with like whoever I'm playing with. Like I really try to internalize them and hear where I think they should go. And I think I, I think like over time I've had some pretty good ideas about that, about how to like arrange songs and how to right. fit a banjo within that mm-hmm. in terms of like, an actual playing style that I sure. have. 
I, I think a lot of my playing is probably informed by the fact that I was a guitar player. Right. How so? I don't know. I'm, I'm like more, uh, so like another band I was into was like the Allman Brothers and yep. stuff like that. And they have mm -hmm. a lot of the like real pentatonic -y, yeah. like dual guitar sounding stuff mm -hmm. and um, kind of closed shapes yeah. moving around. bluesy stuff like I'm known to do a lot of that's nice you know stuff like that or like uh you know just just guitar-y stuff like right. that um yeah there's a really impressive and accurate and and big bends that you're that you're pulling off there that that's that's really hard stuff to do yeah and i can definitely see that that sort of shapey kind of guitar movement yeah and you seem to mix melodic melodic and single string stuff really really smoothly you know thanks i don't i don't feel like i'm particularly good at single string it's something i'm working on which, which is weird given that what I just said about coming from guitar, it seems sure. like that should be like really natural. But I think when I first started banjo, I got it in my head of like, oh, my left hand's up to speed. What yeah. I really need to do is work on my right hand. Not that I have the most amazing right hand either, but I think in a way I sort of like overcompensated Yeah. where I worked on my right hand enough and by virtue of that, maybe neglected my left hand a little bit. So I'm almost in a point now where I almost feel like that has flipped a little bit where like my left hand might need to catch up. What um, sort of, what sort of things do you do to work on your left hand when it comes to single string? Do you have specific oh, yeah. exercises oh, I have, or? I, yeah, I have a ton of stuff. Um, I'm sort of like a, a, an exercise king. I guess another note in my progression as a player, like I definitely went through a period, whether it was because of like, having a young family or being in law school or whatever, mm -hmm. like I didn't have much time to practice. Mm -hmm. And I thought for better or worse, maybe the best use of my time would be to just really try to keep my hands in shape. So I developed a lot of things to like work on those. Mm. Um, so like one single string thing would be, so let's take, uh, there's like this G scale position. but I kind of go down to the E just to like yep. fill out the, yeah, yeah. the position. And I'll, I'll start on the bottom one, E, and I'll add one and go back to the E. Yep. And then go to the next one up and then back down to E. And then just keep going up the scale. And every time you add a note, right. you follow the scale back down to the E. And you have to move. Uh, so I keep shifting, and it's all in G. So you have to know like all your yeah, G like shifting through your shapes. Modes. Yeah, 
And the way the pattern works is that, you know, you start the first one on your thumb, but as you shift, that next one starts on an upstroke, like on an index. On an index, yeah. So it's like really testing a lot of different things with your left and your right hand. Yeah, that's great. And then I do a variation of that where I'll pause on the next higher note, like... Uh, uh, yeah, you get a listening patient in there. I haven't done this in a little while, but you kind of get where that's going. So that's like one of the things I do, but that's like great. there's all, mm -hmm. I have a bunch of those. Yeah. I mean, even as just a, just as an exercise, that sounds relatively musical. I mean, it's usable in, in music. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of exercises that you play that you would never put in music because it sounds rote or, you know, it sounds lame, I guess you could say. Totally. That sounds great. Yeah. So so I have like a million exercises. A lot of those is what like I turned into, you know, I have my right hand boot camp and my left hand boot right. camp. That's like the product of all those things that I would do. Yep. Now looking back at it, it's, it's kind of funny. Like, so like I said, I, I was doing a lot of this stuff, trying to like maintain basically, like yeah. I was worried about getting worse. And this was my way of like, maybe I wasn't getting all the inspired practicing and I was tired and I didn't have a band that I was gigging with. I didn't really like know what to work on, but at least if I did these exercises, my hands would be in shape and I would be like ready to play when I had the opportunity. But as it turns out, like after years and years of doing mostly that, a weird thing happens where like your playing starts to sound like your exercises, mm -hmm. which is like totally obvious. Like, of course, you're, you play what you practice. Right, right. And so with the help of like, I've been taking a few lessons with like Wes Corbett, which I affectionately call my Wessons. Uh, <laughs> and oh, um, I hope everyone tells him, I hope everyone says that too. I, I, I did. And I clearly was not the first. He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so he, he's kind of re-inspired and, and like, so, so even though my hands have been in shape, like there's been another part of my playing that is kind of atrophied in terms yeah. of like creativity or even like just having a structured practice. So he's been helping me with that. So at, at this point, even though I just sort of like showed off something that has helped me at, at this point, I'm actually sort of like disavowing that a little bit. Like don't, it's still really helpful. Don't do that stuff too much. You're saying don't make it the only thing don't that you do. Don't only do that. Right. Right. Yeah. So what is so what sorts sorts of things has Wes told you or talked to you about? Um, you know, what sorts of things has Wes helped you develop in terms of creativity and Well, I've only had a had a couple lessons, but uh the the, <laughs> the points that we've hit on so Sorry, far. I laugh every time. You say <laughs> yeah, that. right. Well, I love it. Always good for a dad joke. I mean the the like main mantra really would be like try to play with your ears and not your eyes right and playing these shapes yeah that's all i it's yeah. it's playing with your and it's muscle it's memory playing with your eyes right and, and like i could i could have my ears totally plugged and not hear what's going on and still be able to do those exercises yeah. and know that i'm doing them properly or not yeah. i feel when i make a mistake so it's really engaging the ear and so it's um slowing things down slowing them crazy down and just like stuff that you know, like, um, I don't know, John Hardy or something, you know, like a, a, a tune where you don't have to like be thinking about what the changes are mm -hmm. or anything like that. 
and just going really slow and kind of using that opportunity. And I've heard Noam talk about this too. When people ask him about improvising, yeah, he's like, play, play a fiddle tune super slow yeah. and try to play exactly what you want. Play your play with your ear. Yeah. This this Yeah. If you're going that slow with no pressure, you're just at home or whatever. If you can't play like a solo that you're happy with under those conditions, like how the hell are you yeah, ever gonna like right. be a good improviser? It's never gonna happen, yeah. That that's that's where I'm at. Like in a way it it's it's it feels really weird to play really slow and you know, yeah. have to reconnect with my ear not not like i don't play with my ear i play with my ear but uh you know just in terms of like my practicing discipline right just really trying to engage that practice part using of my your brain ear. Yeah. yeah that's it's interesting because i i one of my biggest questions for you because i have always thought that you have a great ear and it's interesting to see you think on the on on the neck of the instrument and i've i've, I've seen that process many times and every you know every time i see you play i see you do express different ideas and so one of my questions would have been how, what is your, what is your method of improvisation? And, and I've always w wondered, you know, how different people do it and how different people go about it. If people, you know, I think some people use forms more, they use licks and they sort of copy and paste licks into things and other people truly compose when they're improvising, right? They're composing just, just purely based on ear. And that would be the truest form of it. And it sounds like that's what Wes is trying to get you towards. Yeah. And, you know, watching him do that is like, it's just really impressive. It's amazing. Yeah. He's been posting Instagram videos recently. of just That's that. almost exactly it. Right. And I wonder whether it's because of what I've been asking him. It seemed to like coincide that he's posting that oh, with that. Oh, the Wessons are but maybe he gets leading that into. Yeah. I mean, that, that's I'm what sure he does that's what he's good at. So it would make sense right. that like anyone who has the opportunity to ask him about it probably is like, how do you just flow with this creativity? So yeah, amazingly. Yeah. He's probably been teaching a little bit more and he's probably been getting a lot of questions about it. So, yeah. yeah. But that, that is, that is one of the most fascinating things about improvisation, how we, how the only way that we can do it really well, or if we think about how Bela or Noam does it, they come up with something in their head measures before they're going to play it and they program what they're already doing into their fingers and they keep playing and, and they're planning ahead of time. Right. And then they get to that spot. Maybe I, I wish I, I wish I could know. Yeah. How do we get into their mind? Yeah. We'll try. <clears throat> oh, was, was the flop house that where you got the first banjo? Was that lobster house? No, that was never my house. That was just a house that I uh, would go hang out. Okay. In. Gotcha. Because no. I thought I thought it was a house in East Lansing or something. It was, it was, but no, I, I didn't live at the Lobster House. Right. Okay. Let's talk about the podcast. Okay. Let's talk about the this this crazy thing that you're doing. Uh, so it started five years ago. Five years ago, almost exactly. Here we are again. The, here we you are. Know, basically, I won't say the the same room because you did move down the street, but it's 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 this home's version of the same room that That's, we were in. Here's uh, at your previous same place. same rug Is same <laughs> maps same maps on the wall yeah, yeah. same uh, generally the same banjos yeah my lesson room in my house yeah up the street five years ago and you 
texted me or called me and I think maybe you emailed me actually and you were like I have this crazy idea let's see if it works and it was a text because every once in a while I've I've reposted it oh you have on um whatever Facebook or Instagram or something like that that's right uh and it was like right after new I want to say it was like January 2nd or something okay of New Year's 2018 very of like very hey cool. check out this crazy idea yeah I have. You want to do it? And you very graciously said yes. And you very graciously uh, did an awesome job. And like in a big way, I, I have you to thank. Like there, there's definitely a parallel universe where I showed up to do that interview and we sounded like a bunch of like mumbling idiots. We totally and sucked, I just yeah. And I drove home and was like, okay, well, that was a stupid <laughs> idea. And yeah, there's a lot of what, what ifs here. If yeah. someone else had done it, if we had sucked <laughs> on that first that first night. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's gone marvelous places since then. You I I feel like you you really got off you kind of hit the ground running. You started we we did ours and we I think you had Mike Bont right afterwards. Yeah. Who's also a Michigan buddy, right? Right. And yeah, the first step was just calling in just <laughs> calling call in people. my buddies, yeah. Then I and I think the wonderful thing about this community and about banjo players in general is that we're all at at our at our heart we're just hopeless dorks yeah and the thought of someone interviewing us for this is you know we're, we all have that sort of aw shucks mentality yeah right well i've i've heard bela some people asked bela like what is it like to be the best banjo player in the world and i think he said something like it's probably about the same as being the best kazoo player yeah. in the world <laughs> like it's like it's great it's better than being the worst right but it's still like it's still what it is yeah, yeah. Even even Bela, even Bela feels that for sure. And uh, when's Bela happening, Keith? This is what everyone's asking. Uh, whenever he calls me, <laughs> I know we're all we're all pulling for that. I'm, I'm trying. Believe me, I'm yeah, trying. I know pe you are. Pe people make a lot of requests for a lot of people, and uh, I won't throw anyone under the bus. But like a lot of them have like not a lot of them. I've been turned down by sure. a, a few people who tend to like be suggested often mm -hmm. and that's totally fine i have no interest in like strong arming someone into participating into something that they're not getting paid for right and like isn't their job to talk to me right uh so whatever it's fine but uh yeah that stuff happens and i'm just i'm trying to be persistent <clears throat> but maintaining my midwestern uh deference yeah. in that way yeah We've made reference to that a lot in this in this interview already. The deference, reference. It's a... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about what you've learned in this process of doing this. How has this how has this changed who you are as a banjo player, or how you see the instrument? Or I can't imagine how much you've you've had to have, you had to have learned in this whole process. Yeah, a ton. Ironically, in one way it's cutting down on my practicing time. Yeah. Cause I'm editing. Right. And it's a lot of work. Record. It's, it's a ton of work. Yeah. Uh, but more to like what you're actually asking about. It's really humbled me because like every single guest I've had, even if they are, how many have I had? Like over a hundred now. Right. So they can't all be my favorite banjo player. So whatever, obviously there are some that I love their style more than others. But that being said, every single guest I've had, in some way or another, like I really look up to and I really like admire what they do right. and think they're awesome. So seeing, seeing so many 
awesome people doing awesome things on the banjo. It's like really humbling. So yeah, you just try to like capture their inspiration. But in the same way, like I said, there's so many different awesome people. Like one thing you start to take away from it is that they each do their own thing. Yeah. And they each got where they are by doing their own thing. So it sort of also reinforces finding your own path, finding your own voice, following your inspiration. If you want to learn these, like learn or compose mm -hmm. weird sounding tunes, then like do it. Right. And like, no matter what you do, you could, you could be a, the closest Earl Scruggs disciple you can possibly be. And people will love you for that. Yeah. Or you could like, abandon that and turn into Ryan Kavanaugh and people will love what you're doing for that. Not that he doesn't have like plenty of haters, but you know, if he was if he was going to be scared by that, he, we wouldn't know who he is. Interesting he thing quit. from the, the Ryan Kavanaugh episode was when he was talking about playing, you know, jazz in Europe and, and, you know, doing all this crazy, you know, insane single string jazz stuff and and the biggest cheer he would get was just a do do just a scruggs yeah. break you know yeah so yeah. he would do banjo-y stuff yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. So, no, so i mean i i've i mean i could talk for like hours about things i've learned from the people i've interviewed yeah. but i think that's like a main overarching thing is like if you know what you love like just go for it yeah jeremy stevens is this like quirky dude who loves old music from the twenties and thirties and he loves Don Reno and he just tries to be like the best Don Reno style banjo player out there. And like, yeah, that's totally awesome. Yeah. I mean, I found, I found endless moments of just inspiration from listening to someone talking about what they're talking about and then just being passionate about it mm -hmm. on, this, on this podcast, you know, even it's, a, even if it's something that I'm not uh, into or, or, or really, I can't think of much that I haven't been into on the podcast, but it just doesn't apply to your playing, maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and you know, just oh, the detail with which you think about that two to three slide, the way that you play mm -hmm. that, you know, the way that Earl played it versus the way that JD played it. Yeah, I I do love and and obsess about that stuff, but also like I've never thought about that. That's completely fascinating to hear your take on that. And uh -huh. so, for for all of us geeks out there, this it's it's a amazing repository of of great information yeah and and it's getting to the point where people will ask me about specific things and like now i don't remember them they'll yeah which is crazy like i should go back and listen to old episodes people will will quote something that someone said or i loved that part of that episode and i'm like oh really okay <laughs> there's That's too great. much information to even to yeah. even consider remembering all of it you know one of your initial conceits with the podcast is that you wanted to be an audio version of masters of the five string banjo totally right? that's what and, and that's what you were going for and that's what you're doing in many ways yeah which is great and you interviewed pete wernick who was one of the authors right yeah and trishka and yeah. trishka yeah, right both yeah pete was basically like good good luck buddy <laughs> it's all it's all yours right yeah and and he's told me that before too and at various points before i even started the podcast i was already like on a little bit of a campaign for i would ask people about why isn't there a volume two of right. matches like i already knew that there should needed to be follow-up to that and apparently there was plans for it i want to say like maybe ned was involved and i think it just it was just like an economics thing like 
it's so much cranking out a 300 page book or however long that book is printing that and shipping it like it's Mm -hmm. not a there's not a thing right that you can do for such like a niche audience unless it's like a university textbook and you can charge 160 bucks for it every semester and why why do it when you're you're doing it an audio forum like here we are writing it right now oh right you have been writing it with no page limit and right like virtually free distribution worldwide. Right. It's the, um, it's the way that people consume media so often now. So. And you hear people's voices, like, which is so amazing. And you hear their banjo. Right. Like, so yeah. it rules. Yeah. Now it's missing the tablature. It's missing the spreadsheet of bridges and microphones that everyone uses or uh, all that other mm-hmm. stuff that's in the match mm-hmm. of the flashing. But so like, whatever, it's not... It's not all upside, but I so, think I think on balance, it's uh, yeah. Do you it's a prefer? Do you have plans? I know, I know, all of this is an incredible amount of work, and and you know the thought of adding more work to it is daunting. But do you have plans to to add more media when it comes to tabs and and you know sort of spreadsheets, bridge spreadsheets, and not really. That would be the exact type of thing where like if you know, another 500 people who are listening, sign up on Patreon or something like that in a way that like I could quit my job and do this full time. Like that's exactly what I would, (laughs) that's exactly what I would probably do. I would probably, so like for a little while I had, uh, Eli Gilbert. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah. He would, um, respond in video right. to every episode with like sort of a, whatever his takeaway. Well, I didn't really give him any criteria. Yeah. Whatever his takeaway was from the episode, he would latch on to something someone said and either like tab it out and do a lesson on that topic mm-hmm. or, you know, do his Eli thing that he's like one of the best at. I would love to do something like that. I don't have time to. Every once in a while, someone will email me and be like, hey, I, you know, whoever Corey Walker played that like lick during mm-hmm. the episode. Like, how did he play that? Right. And I'll, I'll usually listen to it. And if I can like, if I can get it sort of quickly, I'll, I'll tab it out and send it to people. Right. Yeah, yeah. But like for the most part, I'm like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to, I would absolutely love to. There was, um, a guy, a listener, his name's Anthony. He was putting, um, I was sending him my stems from the episode and he was putting it through like a text, um, like a transcriber software. Oh, interesting. And basically making a version of Masters yeah, of the Five String yeah. Banjo oh, off, cool. of, off of the words. Yeah. And so he he has like a handful of ap- episodes online, but like even that was like too much for me to keep up with. He, yeah. he kept um, asking for more episodes and like I would I would send him some every now and then, but like... I just have such a backlog at this point. It would take me forever to like go back into the audio tracks and export all of them. And right. like, I don't know. It's just not, I already have a hard time like making my own admittedly self-imposed deadlines for like editing these things without, yeah. without edit extra stuff. But right. yeah, that, I mean, that's the bottom line. I would love to do more extra stuff and really it would just be a matter of somehow making enough money for this to like cut down on. Yeah. freeing up some more time for myself for sure hey folks just need to take a quick break to tell you all about my good friends up in lansing michigan at elderly instruments 
Now, you might be thinking that with Elderly's amazing selection and their fast worldwide shipping, that they are some big box conglomerate store. But no, Elderly has been family owned since 1972, and they pride themselves on giving you the customer service and personal touch that only a mom and pop store can give you. So the next time you need anything for your banjo, guitar, violin, mandolin, any stringed instruments, accessories, instructional materials, and I'm talking about whether you're looking for a beginner instrument or even a high-end, vintage, hard-to-find item, Elderly is going to have you covered. It's my first place that I go. So check them out at elderly.com. And don't forget to let them know that the Piggy Fingers Banjo Podcast sent you. This podcast is also brought to you by Peghead Nation, a site that brings you streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other roots music styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in the world. Now, some of what Peghead Nation offers is a great lineup, of course, of banjo instruction. Check out these courses. Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward-style Banjo with Bruce Molsky, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, and Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, regardless of what course you choose, you're going to get high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes to play. Now, perhaps the best part of all this is that just by being a Picky Fingers podcast listener, you are going to get your first month free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's PICKYFINGERS, all lowercase, all one word, over at pegheadnation.com. Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is proud to welcome a brand new sponsor, Sullivan Banjos. The Sullivan family has been in the banjo making business for decades and have earned their reputation for the highest quality in materials and craftsmanship. Perhaps the best part is you get the big time Sullivan tone while getting the personal customer service of a small boutique banjo custom shop. Chances are that if you can dream it, Eric Sullivan can build it. My main banjo is proof. I've been playing and loving my Sullivan custom banjo since 2004, and it just keeps getting better and better every day. So hop online and go to sullivanbanjos.com, email them at sullivanbanjo at gmail.com, or get a hold of them the old-fashioned way. Pick up the phone and dial 502-365-5022. And don't forget to tell them that Keith from the Picky Fingers podcast sent you. Do you have plans for specific or ideas for specific episodes, lesson episodes, or any any more of your boot camps? I have a few ideas. Sometimes I wonder if if there's enough of that already out there. Like there's some really good banjo educators out there. There's I already a, talked about Eli. Almost amount, yeah. So I wonder how useful that is. Now that being said, like my right hand boot camp is probably definitely one of the most popular episodes that I have. It's excellent. Thanks. Um, so maybe I should just like hear my own advice about that. So I have a few ideas, but again, like, I, I mean, I never took lessons. I don't have like a curriculum that I teach. So even when I do those, I don't have this like big list of topics that I'm prepared to go into. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it takes a bit of work. Uh, I have put that question out there to like VIP lounge people and 
typically they say backup is like a really uh, okay. popular request. Yeah. So if and when I do another lesson episode, I'm expecting that that's what that would be all about. But I haven't made it yet. I haven't done any tablature. I haven't figured out what exactly I would teach, but cool. it would probably be backup. Well, if you need a banjo teacher to help you. Okay. You know one? <sighs> I hear there's some guy around here who's okay. Let's go to michiganbanjo.com. <laughs> nice. Nice name drop. Yeah. Um, can you play me Lobster House? Oh, probably. Uh, so forth nice so i can see the celtic influence in that huh that was yeah. early, earlier in your in oh, your that writing was way early yeah that, that was like hot tomity era, ah, era okay. piece um but the the reason you asked for that is because you remember it because we did a, a, a duo banjo gig at some point and i think that somehow came up and we did a really we did a really hot gig at a retirement community <laughs> it was great i had a blast I thought it was super fun. I think we even played a song also out of that uh, Bach, the Bach book. Did we not? We did one of or the... Or maybe one of your arrangements. We did an invention. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was one of my arrangements. Yeah. yeah, it was the, I think, 13 in A minor, which I've, I've also done with Ricky. And we did, the, we did the classic thing. I think you played the right hand and I played the, re the left hand of Foggy Mountain Breakdown on the same banjo. <laughs> yeah. It's like... <laughs> Kills them every time. So cheesy. Yeah. Let's talk about your new band, Wilson Thicket. Oh, yeah, sure. Cool. So, yeah, tell me about that band. Uh, Wilson Thicket is is a band that, um, I guess I'll, I'll start by saying one of the things that I really learned playing with Lindsay was that I, I, I came to like be self-aware about like my place. Like I'm not going to, I'm not a front man. I'm not a lead singer. I'm not a much of a songwriter at all. And so once you're a side man, really the best thing you can do is find the best singer you can and mm -hmm. just sort of like latch onto that person and, and try to like have that be the focal point because in reality, that's, that's the focal point. Right. Unless, unless I'm going to be Bela Fleck bluegrass heart band with like right. just genius instrumentalists, like, and even them, when you see their shows, they like make sure they sing a few songs. Right. Because that's, that's what we the, want. It's the thing that people most easily relate to. Mm -hmm. um, so I really learned that from, from Lindsay. And so like when I, in the past couple of years when I just really got sick of like not being part of a regular project and I'm like, I need to make this happen. The first thing I thought of was like, who are the best like singers I know who I can like 
see myself getting along with and playing music with. And so I thought immediately of my good friends, uh, Jason Denny and Aaron Markovitz. Both of those guys are uh, incredible singers, really great songwriters, really great pickers too. They, they both double on guitar and mandolin and they're both like pretty adept at both. Aaron definitely comes from more of like a blues guitar kind of more like my background right jason is steeped in bluegrass but he's also like a contest winning finger style guitar player right he's um and, and so i guess i'm saying all this to say that like it's not really like a bluegrass band sure and then our bass player scott kendall he plays bluegrass but he comes from like music school he was part of the like celine fiddlers right so he's adept at bowing but like Jason and I are probably like the bluegrassiest people. And even I, like, I don't come from a bluegrass background. I know right. my share of like bluegrass album band songs and stuff like that. Right. I, I know a lot of that uh, key repertoire, but like, we're, that's really not what we do. We, we really like focus on those vocals, focus on working up originals, some creative covers. So mm -hmm. like, that's really what it's all about is like featuring those guys singing and we're all good enough instrumentalists and creative enough people to like put some good arrangements behind it. So it, that's a band we just, we still feel like a new band. We've technically been going for like maybe a year or a year and a half, but we, it's, it's a pretty like slow to get off the, off the ground. Everyone's busy with their mm -hmm. like families and other projects. So we're, we're like increasingly trying to, to focus a bit on it. So it's, it's been a little bit of a slow moving project, but it's really cool. And it's like really great guys to, hang out with really great guys to play with yeah. really talented people. We've all had a little bit of like mutual admiration sessions where like, I'm just glad you guys want to play with me. And like, we, <laughs> yeah, we, we all sort of feel that same way. Like, what yeah. are you guys doing with me? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's cool. So I, I'll kind of take credit for putting it together. Like, cause I, I definitely wanted to handpick like these two great singers singing together. Right. Is like really powerful. Yeah, I, yeah. It's really cool seeing bands that have two, like legitimate lead singers. Yeah, yeah. And uh and so we have that, which is great. And who's writing the songs? Is it is it shared between Aaron Jason and, and Aaron? Yeah. That's what yeah. that's what I could I could would have guessed at least. Like yeah. so Jason seems to I mean, the songs that I've seen, he seems to to lean more on that bluegrass background. So those tend to be a little bit more driving, sort of straight ahead. Yeah. They're they're a little more like whimsical. Um I'm tempted to say simple. Mm -hmm. Um, although they're, they're arranged, but they're just straightforward, you know, yeah. they're chord progression, catchy melody, catchy right. verse and chorus, you know, but usually fairly succinct. Aaron is definitely a little more from like 
the songwriter background right. where it Way can more go, chord changes can and go a few different ways going on yeah yeah so it seems like your banjo playing on Aaron's song is it's more it's much more sort of arranged and you're you're playing more lines and 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 for for lack of a better term you're it's you know everything is a little more succinct and and you know specifically arranged that's exactly right and like there's one of his specifically called this december which i have to concentrate yeah for for i mean Maybe that's a silly thing to say, like, yeah, you have to concentrate to play music. But, you know, sometimes you get in, like, a flow state where you just know what's coming next and you the yeah, song yeah. plays itself. Um, no, even after having played it for several months now, I still find myself being like, okay, what do I do next? What do I do next? Yeah, it's more Wait, unexpected, I, for sure. Yeah. This December, it's gonna count. I see them clouds giving way to sun Cause we all know just how much we crave the warmth of the rays In these next few dreary months And the boxing along these burdens weighed heavy on my heart Just like the heavy snow is upon the trees yeah, how do you find yourself? How do you find yourself arranging or thinking about songs like that differently than you would a, a bluegrass song? Is it, it, it? I assume that with the more sort of standard kind of driving stuff, you're just on autopilot, and you're doing what you've done a million times. Yeah, you know. Hopefully, I put a little more thought into it than that. But I know what you mean. Yeah, you can. It's my time to roll through these changes, and I right. know how to do that. Um, good question. Um, I think it usually takes, it, it requires me like taking a step back, like don't, don't even maybe write a banjo part or try to play a banjo until I've like sat with the song and listened to it and try to just hear it maybe from a more objective observer standpoint of like, okay, if I was listening to this on my, at a concert or on a stereo or something, like what would I think was really cool for the banjo player to do right, right now? Yeah, and then just try to like teach myself whatever it is that I heard in my head rather than just relying on here are the changes, make that chord shape with my left hand and make my right hand do a roll pattern right. and plug, make it fit. Plug in the forms in the way that you usually would as yeah. opposed to listen to something and find what sounds best or yeah, what just, serves the song best. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Just try to be open to something different than I might mm -hmm. think about. And you do that, you do that sort of thing as well. I mean, you play in a Tom Petty tribute band too, right? Which is like, <laughs> that, that's just a few gigs a year, but yeah, that's a lot of fun. That's like that's my, cool. um, yeah. So that's my good buddy just to like tie the bow on that. 
that's my buddy Daniel Patrick who plays in um, or he, he he does the mandolins and beer podcast which is kind of the analogous to this right, right. one except for our eight string uh, brothers and sisters Patriots yeah uh, so he has he's based out of South Carolina and he has a Tom Petty mm-hmm. tribute band bluegrass tribute band so um, no drums no drums it's okay. bluegrass instrumentation but he'll he's from Michigan originally okay uh, so he'll come play up here a few times a year and I'm usually his like Michigan based banjo player so oh, yes nice. I get to play Tom Petty songs oh cool uh, which is great it's fun all right back to the podcast what's your sense of your listenership like in terms of banjo players what's the ratio of people who play banjo or hopeful banjo players or beginners to intermediate players to advanced players do you have any sort of survey like do you have any idea of what your what your listenership is like i'm sure that's a hard thing to uh i mean my feeling is that it's pretty close to a hundred percent banjo players of of some level or another of some style or another it's not a hundred percent i have heard from people and like i think probably some people in my family listen to it uh that's cute to be nice and stuff there are definitely some other instrumentalists who have said they listen to it and they learn a lot but no the vast vast majority are banjo players there's definitely a lot of beginners a lot of the emails that i get are I just started playing during the pandemic or I just started playing six months ago and Mm -hmm. was, was searching out stuff to watch online or stuff to listen to online. And and they stumble on the show, which is great. Yeah. I think you do a good job of of balancing it for sure. If I'm listening from a, from a teacher's standpoint, there's a lot that I would learn if I were a beginner for sure. And there's a lot that I would learn as an advanced player. Yeah. And a lot of that comes into play with like, a lot of what you learn isn't complicated things to play on your banjo. A lot of what you learn from the people I interview is just like mindset and right. attitude. Yeah. And um, yeah, just how you have to approach it and how you approach your practice sessions, which that can apply to you no matter no what matter. your level is. Totally. Um, so I, I think that helps like equalize uh, mm-hmm. the accessibility of it yeah any any like overarching themes that you've that you've sensed with or that you've noticed with with everyone that you've interviewed over the years like one thing i've noticed is that everyone talks about the melody right we need to focus on the melody like things like that they're things that you've noticed that everyone everyone focuses on and talks about that's an awesome question that's probably what i find myself like pondering the most actually is like now that I've I, I've done so many that I'm almost like forgetting some of them. Like what? Like what are my takeaways? So okay, let me think. Definitely what you just said. The the melody and along with that, playing the song. Yeah. Like almost I can't think of anybody who has said something like, "I just want to make this really impressive banjo solo that's really going to impress people, mm-hmm. and people are going to go, wow, you're the best banjo player I've ever heard.'" Yeah. No, like. Anytime they have the opportunity, these people say, you have to support the singer. You have to play right. tasteful backup to your other soloists, up or, to and including like not playing at all. Or don't play. Yeah. yeah that's that's one thing we hear a lot. Yeah. 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 Just, just shut up. <laughs> Another thing that isn't necessarily advice that they've had, but something that like I'm really struck with, and this could be the fact that I'm like now in my like mid forties and just have had to like adjust my 
uh, self-awareness of like what my place in banjo playing is like that there's my band isn't going to turn into the next like Billy Strings band. Sure. You know, so it's, it's like, okay, given that I need to reevaluate and a really common thing that I, that I've heard is like how many of these people, some of them grew up with a, like a banjo family or right. something like that, in which case their story is pretty clear, but others play banjo because like their parents took them to a farmer's market and they saw a bluegrass band yeah. and they saw the banjo player and loved it. Right. And that player probably wasn't, Jens Kruger. Sure. It was probably like just a dude with a local band. Right. Nothing against dude with local bands, but like the point being like, you don't have to be an amazing player to like inspire someone with it. So like part of my awareness from hearing how often that happens is like, I take that with me to like my gigs. Yeah. Who is hearing me play that 30 years from now is going to be like, Ned Lubarecki. Right. And I'll never know it. Right. I'll never like, have any idea. They'll have yeah. some story about like seeing some dude at a yep. gig and like, wow, that's a really like powerful opportunity that we have. And, and like, we're consumed with it. Like we, we see banjos all the time. We mm -hmm. see bluegrass all the time and we forget like how novel it is for people right. when they see us play. I don't have any like data on this, but I bet every gig that I play, there's someone there who has never seen a banjo 100%. being played live. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, so like, that's really awesome. And I sort oh. of like take that as a kind of somewhat of a responsibility to be like an ambassador. So that that's, I, you know, that was a long-winded way of saying like, that's something I think about when I hear their their stories about like how something could have just been a little different and then mm -hmm. the world wouldn't have uh mike munford or you know whoever right. whoever yeah. it is like that's that's pretty cool yeah that's a cool way to think about it all these all these little tiny chances that sort of land us here and this instrument has a very captivating hold on so many people like people hear it and they're like it's just like i'm trying to snap <laughs> <laughs> and it and it blows their mind for whatever reason there's something about the way that it sounds the way that it hits people just the way that you play a melody within a role that's totally, completely magical. Yeah. And 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 it's it's incredible. Like we we might ask why banjo and, and a lot of us don't know. It just hits us like that. Yeah, and I that's just a cool thing about it. Yeah, how many times have you heard I just love the sound of a banjo? Like that's what it like that's totally, totally. true. And mm -hmm. everyone like everyone says that or everyone worth talking to says that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just <laughs> it just hits you for sure. Um I guess in, in terms of like other things that people have said that, you know, I think I already like touched on the, the be yourself yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing, and I guess maybe this is like prominent in my mind because of what I was saying about what Wes has been going over with me and my own realizations about like how what I've been practicing has maybe stifled other parts of my learning or progress like it's it's silly that this is a realization because it's like so obvious when you hear it but practicing things in a way that you'll be able to use them i've heard it from a lot of people but the one that really jumps out to me as being someone who explained it really well was uh chris pandolfi mm -hmm. and it's like of course yeah you can practice all these like goofy scales or roll patterns and if you haven't practiced like putting them into 
a piece of music in the context that you might actually use it, like you're yeah. not going to be able to. So give me an example. Can you play me something like, oh, so some, I don't know, just something that like I, I guess you could call it a trick mm -hmm. because it is sort of a, a trick in a way. I started like goofing with what happens when you use a fretted note that is a half step off of like an open string and you can get some of these like really close so like here would be one um so like uh so i'm playing uh the right hand pattern would be like middle thumb index thumb yep and the only note i'm fretting is like the third fret on the g string i kind of there's just something like cool and funky about that so i started like doing that with every string so like you know and there's just this like weird stuff but like i don't know how do you use that or like and there's a lot of chromatics so like yep that's cool to play with but then like make a lick out of it so So uh, on the G string, uh, I'm basically making a chromatic pattern between the third fret on the G string, yep. going to the open second string, and then the fifth fret on the G string. And I'm just going. And then I'm doing the same thing up a string, except you have to use the second and fourth frets. And it kind of just sounds gnarly by itself, but like if you put it in a line, Like that could be a cool D lick. Yeah. Or like on that same concept, that first thing that I showed you, yep. what happens if you like add notes to the high D string? And so right now I'm using it as a half step between B flat and B. I could always use it, also use it as a half step between C and B. Mm -hmm. So what if I just keep uh, going up? You know, you can yeah. kind of keep going up. Uh, and you're just using notes at the G scale on that top, top string. Y yeah. Or you went to an F. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much what I did. So yeah, just like funk funking it up. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, something like that. And find a way out of it that, find that a makes way, sense. Find a way to like stick the landing. And I'm like, like I said, the reason that hit hard with me is I, th I think I'm just like taking it to heart and realizing that that's like a deficiency right. that I have. Right. So like I, I, and I guess that's another good thing about these interviews is that like, depending on where you are, there's probably different things that you're going to pick up that apply to what you're working on a little more. And, and those are things that for me really like hit home mm -hmm. and that I, that I try to like heed the advice about. Right. For sure. Push off or pull off? Which pull. one is that? Pull? Yeah. You use three to two. That blows my mind. Yeah. How'd that happen? I don't know. You also two I didn't to three take lessons, on. remember? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that, that always kind of, that always kind of blew my mind. Another thing I do that I think is from Guitar Land is when, is when people do like... 
I'm doing that with like all three of my fingers because oh, like that's what you do when you're in like blues guitar mode. Yeah, I do that now too. I learned that from you. Oh, really? It's way easier to do a bend with two fingers on the string. It's easier, but a lot of guys just do it with their index. I used to do it with my second finger, but now I do it with my first and third finger okay. on the same string. Interesting. Yeah, I got that from you. I teach that. I teach that to all my students. Sorry, you're you've welcome. You've tainted us. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the hallmark of my style: is using way too many fingers to that's bend how you notes. Get, that's how you get those big old, those big old hairy bends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Okay, how about your instrument? Okay, this is a 2004 Sullivan Custom Bardstown, so it's a mahogany banjo, and it's been like my main basically my only instrument that I've performed and recorded with like since I got it in 2004 and it's it's really awesome so it's all mahogany and I, I think I mentioned that it's a custom so the custom options on it were I ordered an arched fingerboard I don't know the measurements Eric Sullivan uh, asked me what measurements and I said I don't know just make it like a top tension right like because yeah. I knew I had played top tensions and I loved them so Is it wider at all. I don't think so. It doesn't look super, I haven't, super wide. I haven't measured it. It is pretty chunky. Yeah. Which is like fine for me. I have like decently long, like slender fingers. So it works out. So yeah, it's got an arched fingerboard and then like a Tony Pass mm -hmm. block rim. Yeah. Those were the custom options that I ordered on it. Now I've, I've since like updated it with like one of these neckfill wooden armrests. I have a Gary Price tailpiece, a... Scorpion Bridge, Rickard Tuners, which are very cool. Mm -hmm. So I, I got it in 2004. So, I mean, keep in mind, like I worked at Elderly for like six years after I got this. And I can honestly say that I basically was never tempted to like trade this in for something yeah. like that. That's how much I dig it, you know? So I, I saw a lot of like really great banjos, maybe some for like, for a moment, I, I would get weird thoughts about it, but then I'm like, no, I, I don't, I don't actually like it better. So yeah, and you're comfortable on it. You sound good, and yeah. And what else? Thanks. What else do you need sometimes? Right? <laughs> Great. Is that thicker fret wire? Or is that standard? This is stainless steel fret wire. I, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely thicker than like the old Gibson bar frets. Right. But I don't know like what size you would consider this. But stainless steel fret wire, like this was refretted. I don't even know how long ago. Like at least five years ago and there's no wear on them like yeah. so that's pretty magical yeah that's pretty amazing yep and what kind of picks uh my picks i'm i'm completely on to pro picks right now so they have this new like heritage series and those are the finger picks i'm using like you you mm -hmm. know you, you and you and i were both like Hoffmeyer, we are Hoffmeyer fanboys, de de dedicated. I mean, I yeah. I still use Hoffmeyer, right? And I still love them. And sometimes I even switch back, and they're very comfortable, and they they do sound good. Yeah. Uh, and I got these Pro Picks, and at first I didn't think I liked them because they sounded a little thinner than the Hoffmeyers to me. But I I started hearing there's like a little a little extra like pop that goes with it, and I don't know, it just appealed to me, and um. Another thing that I've been working on is like note separation and clarity. Mm -hmm. So something about having, even if it's at the expense of a little bit of a thinner tone, like that more precise attack mm -hmm. appealed to me yeah. when I tried these. So who knows, maybe I'll trade back someday, but like right now I'm really digging these. Uh, the thumb pick is also a pro pick. It's not the heritage 
thumb pick. It's like their old standard, like Delrin tip. And the thumb pick, I have like a weird love hate relationship with it. I actually don't like how it sounds. Uh, and the main reason I play it is cause I have like goofy sized thumbs. My thumbs are really like wide and flat. Yeah. You got a flat thumb. Yeah. The blue chip doesn't fit you super well or. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of bend it around and stuff, but like, yeah, it's, it's just never as comfortable. And so for a while I would be like, you know, if I think it sounds better, I'll just make myself get used to it and it's worth it for the better tone. And I don't know, after like years of switching back and forth and going back to these, like I finally realized like what good is it having better tone if you're like not executing as well? Yeah. And I just feel like yeah, this, me. this fits my thumb perfectly and I'm really comfortable with it and it's just, it's just worth it, I guess. So I've actually like been in touch with various pick makers to see if I could like send them pro picks and have them add mm. like better sounding material. Cause I really hate this Delrin. And so far I haven't like been successful at finding people to do that. I thought you had a hybrid, some sort of hybrid pick for a while. That Didn't was you have a Wigan, like some, it, that was a blue chip with a Wigan. Uh, metal band with a Wigan blade. And that sounded awesome. Like if I could get like Wigan is one of the people who I contacted about, yeah, put putting a slab of Wigan stuff on the the yeah, yeah. blade and like whatever he's he's busy doing flat picks and right, like right. whatever they're they're busy, so I I haven't been successful. If anyone out there knows how to like rivet some good, uh, there's got to be some good pick material yeah. to to a pro pick. Like let me know because yeah I I it's at the same time one of the worst sounding thumb picks, but like by far the most comfortable thumb right. pick for me. Huh. Interesting. So, yeah, it's sort of like a weird, like I said, a love-hate yeah. thing that I have going on. And uh, head tension? Uh, my head tension, I think it's in, bet it's in between a G and a G sharp. Okay, so a little tighter. No. What would that be on a drum dial? Low 90s somewhere. Okay, so... I don't know. Yeah, yeah, okay. But, but like take that back. Standard, standard bluegrass setup right. is G sharp. So mine's in between a G and a G sharp, so gotcha. it's just south of that. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I really tried experimenting because a lot of my favorite players go way right. under that. Yeah, yeah. The whole like Matt Davis, Bela, Wes, right Ned, F, F sharp, Gnome. Right? Yeah. They're at like F sharp. Ned was just saying that his is at an F. Like, I can't believe that. Uh, so I've tried it and it does sound kind of cool, but like, I don't, I don't get... It just doesn't have like all the sound that right. I want. You know, it's it's too tubby and cardboardy. I'm, and maybe it's just my banjo. Some banjos just respond differently. Right. Every banjo has a different resonant frequency that works works well for it, right? Yeah. I think that's the basic and that's a basic idea. Yep. And some people can lower them a little bit more. I, I've I've never been able to tap ahead and tell what the what the note is. That's never been something uh, I've been able to figure out for some reason. I've always just used a drum dial. For my for my head setup, yeah, that's more scientific, but um, yeah, you know, you look at it like that. I remember you telling me once that oh yeah, do, let me let me hear that. That's actually like almost down to a G. It's like just north of a G. So relatively relatively lower head tension, but not 
not to the you know not to the gnome balo levels yeah like it's still pretty much a bluegrass setup the mahogany banjo and maybe to some extent the that old wood um block rim it it tends to be a pretty like warm sounding banjo anyway so i don't i don't find that i need to get a lot of like extra warmth compensating with the head tension i would i would rather like keep the pop in it right from the yeah, from yeah. the snappier head because even though i like to play all sorts of different stuff most of what i do still ends up being like kind of in the bluegrass realm sure so like i still want to be able to do you know you know, get the get the drive right the, the yeah. aggressive drive Oh, another thing that like that I hear a lot of people talk about talking about the interviews again is like the importance of relaxing and playing like without tension. Yeah, let's and, talk and, about that. Yeah, I find myself dealing with that all the time. Mm-hmm. Where do you feel? So where's where's the tension? In my shoulder. Yeah. Sometimes I'm I find myself like raising my right shoulder oh, up. Yeah. I feel tension in other places too, but I I think it kind of comes from that. Like usually if I just make, force my right shoulder to relax, that sort of flows down. It the entire arm, yeah. Another thing I have a really tough time with is like breathing. Yeah. Which seems weird. And we've talked about this before. Have we? And I feel like I've heard you talk about this on the podcast before. Oh, maybe. You know, just generally talking about you used to be a saxophone player and you're forced, you're forced to breathe. When you play a wind instrument. Well, it's almost the opposite. You're forced to to not breathe when you play. You're forced to, if you want to breathe, you have to pick your spots and it has to be when you're not playing. Right. So I don't, I don't know how much I can really like blame it on that because it's been so long since I played saxophone, but it's weird how similar Mm -hmm. it is to that. Mm -hmm. I find myself holding my breath playing and then like, like I've ruined recording takes because you take a deep breath. (gasps) Yeah, I'll, yeah, like I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll gasp for air in yeah. between my lines and I've yeah. gotten a lot better at it. But like, you know, I've talked about like how I do a lot of warm ups and stuff. If I find myself doing some finger exercises, I consider almost just as much breathing. concentrate on making sure that I'm yeah. breathing the whole time. So it seems silly, like it's not having to think about breathing, but like it's really important and I'm really like not that good at it right yeah this it's that's something that Bela talked about very specifically at his at his camp really talking about in in his earlier days how he would he would start a solo and it'd be going great apparently it'd be it would be going great and halfway through the solo things would just start to get off and he'd realize that he was just holding his breath the entire mm-hmm. time and and it's something that I talk with my students about all the time, but I ignore that advice. <laughs> you know, one of those things that, you know, do as, do I, as I say, not, not as I do. Yeah. yeah. Or you finish a song and you realize like, oh, you're winded. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Or your heart's beating fast because you just weren't breathing. Yeah. So that's, that's a good, that's a, that's a good, like another good basic practice, practice tip is play a role, play it slow. And focus on your breathing in a rhythmic, you know, in a rhythmic way. Think about how you're doing it when you're breathing in, when you're, when you're breathing out. And it takes on another dimension too, because, you know, I'm, I mentioned the really great singers that I play with now in Wilson Thicket. I'm also trying to do more singing to do like mm-hmm. more third part harmony. Yeah. And I'm not a particularly good singer. I'm not a natural singer. I've never 
worked at, you know, I, I'm working at it now more than I ever have. And so the whole aspect of like breathing properly takes on a whole new meaning mm -hmm. to what it means to breathe properly. And I'm right. definitely not an authority on that, but like, yeah, it's, it's, it's forced it to become like an ever increasing, like part of what I'm like conscious of right. when I'm playing. Listener questions. <laughs> oh, good grief. Here we go. All right. We sourced we sourced some some listener questions in the in the Picky Fingers uh, Facebook group, and I think the and first everyone thing, took them very seriously, yeah, as they always do. I can always count on of those. Of course, they did. Facebookies. I, we we expected Gabe Hirschfield to have some some things to say. He came through. And the first thing he said was, "Watch your back." <laughs> he sure did. And then he said, "In the form of a question, how does it feel to know you should watch your back?" And I'm actually supposed to dignify that with a response. Yeah, I don't really know what it means. Is it, it? Are you supposed to? I'm not entirely sure what he's getting at here. Well, I mean, how does it feel to know that I have to watch my? I mean, I didn't realize that I had to watch my back until Gabe told me I did. So, like now that I know, it doesn't feel that great to to, to know that I have to watch my back. Gabe, why does why does he have to watch his back? Probably, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking that like everywhere I walk now, Gabe might be crouching around the corner armed with like <laughs> sharpened oval eight finger picks, just ready to bounce. So of course. I, I hadn't been watching my back until now. And now I realize that I need, need to. And it's like kind of not great, to be honest. I, I don't like that. That nickel silver just sharpened to it. A, a, <laughs> a razor sharp point. How do you sleep at night? <laughs> Follow up question from me. What gives you the right and how dare you? Okay. In, in taking those in reverse order, what gives me the right? I, I'm a, I'm an American. I'm a freeborn citizen. U.S. Free, Constitution. Man. Yeah. Um, how do I sleep at night? I mean, I guess if I don't go to sleep, I can't dream about banjos. Mm -hmm. So I, I sleep okay. Other than the nights that I have to like stay up editing this podcast those nights, I don't sleep very well at all. I stay up, I stay up late. In fact, a tr true story. So like, my, you know, my house, uh, people know that I have like younger people, so the, the kids running around there. So often the only time that I can get some like peace and quiet to record these podcasts is like the middle of the night. So honestly, sure. like the vast majority, not, not the interviews of course, but when I record like the intros and the outros, uh, the vast majority of those were probably recorded at like 1am. And so I'm a pretty like even keel, mild mannered kind of dude anyway. And on top of that, when you mix in the fact that I'm like tired and also trying not to speak very loud to wake up people in my house, that's why you get the like, hi, you know, the, the just the, the, the podcaster voice, yeah, the, the NPR podcaster voice. That's, that's why that comes out. Cause I'm tired. It's late and I'm trying to be quiet. How True we, story. How do we convince our significant others to let us buy a pre-war Gibson? This comes from Josh Brand, yeah. our, our old, our old Michigan friend. Yeah. Thanks Josh. So like, I, th I think it's probably a combination of the, the old adage of ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Mm. That might be part of it. That's dangerous. There could also be an element of like, buy your significant other 
something nice first and then it won't seem quite as like egregious. That's fair. Does your, how does your significant other feel about your constant banjo playing? Better than I have any right to expect. Yeah. She's very supportive and, uh, I, I've been with Danielle for enough years that like she was, you know, she was with me before I started this podcast and she's been extremely supportive, which I am of course, like really thankful and lucky and grateful. So, uh, it's, it's not that it probably doesn't great, uh, at the people around me at times, but they're, they're good sports about it. And, um, you know, I, I try to reciprocate and, and be supportive of, of things that she does and things that other people in my household do right. because they've, they've been there for me for, for this, uh, goofy passion. She was in the banjo before you started dating, right? Didn't she play a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're getting into this. Like I would literally, I would probably not even be with her if it wasn't for banjo. This is like some personal, oh, wow. deep, deep personal information. So yeah, as background, she, uh, like she has photos of her when she was a kid, like strumming a guitar with her grandpa playing banjo with mm -hmm. her. So she was like much more than I, I won't say that she grew up around bluegrass. Her grandpa wasn't like a serious player but like she was around it like mm -hmm. more than i was no literally when i became single a number of years ago and i was kind of having like a bit of a existential crisis about what that meant for my life sure it was like looking at dating sites and stuff not really doing the whole participation thing but like I, you know i heard that's what you were supposed to do if you're single so i was, I was checking it out and i literally just almost as a joke typed in banjo and like this, you know, someone's profile popped up as being like, I'm trying to play banjo. And there was like a high percentage of like, you know, the match algorithm or whatever they, mm -hmm. they give you is like high mm -hmm. number. And, uh, you know, the, the, the pictures were, were nice to look at. So, uh, I gave it a shot. And so, yeah, banjos very literally, they're an important part of my life, my musical life, but it's, it's amazing how it's, uh, brought other things and other people into my life too. So that's surprising. Yeah. <laughs> Which part of it is surprising? <laughs> that banjo works in a, in a romantic setting. <laughs> yeah. That's as personal as I get about that kind of information, that's I guess. Fair. <laughs> um, but that, no, that's, that's a true story. So you have anything else you want to talk about? Oh, you want to play anything? Probably. So I was kind of contemplating it. I'm, I'm learning a lot about what I put. Uh, I, I've mentioned this to you off mic, but I'm learning a lot about what I put interviewees through mm -hmm. in this process. So I'm like driving here and being like, what, what do I do? Like, what is like, what do I play? What would I, what would I say that is, that is like my thing? And, um, it's not like a unique thing that I do, but I, I think a good like thing to think about to inspire creativity and like find new ways of playing things is like, you know, we all try to play those roles. We know the ones. Uh, I think I try my best to like hear some of the natural rhythms with it and like play off of those. Mm -hmm. And like, so let me think. Um, so like a way of demonstrating that would be like, um, 
So a forward roll, we tend to think of a forward roll as just like a really driving kind of... Which, which of course it is, and it's great for mm-hmm. getting that sound, but like if you play it... You know, you kind of hear this... Right. So m- maybe like capitalize on the fact that that note is punching out and try to try to move it. Um, and then you can combine it with like you, you know, just like different chord shapes and patterns and that's right. all forward roll, but you can yep. make some uh, some movement out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like if you put the forward roll two of the notes or like put put because a roll is really just a right hand pattern there's nothing about a roll that tells you what strings you need to play it on so what if you play like some of the notes on one string so i could play i'm just using two strings the the middle g and the high d Mm -hmm. but both my thumb and my index are playing that middle g roll yeah um but what if i do that through chord shapes Uh, I'm not playing like anything exceptionally musical, but you can kind of see how it gives a bit of like extra syncopation when you're not just playing it. And so I think what I was just thinking, so maybe even more than that example that I just did, I'll still do the same thing. But what if uh, rather than like leading with that G string, you lead with like the higher string. So it's like, You know, you mm-hmm. can, um, you know, and again, this would be a, the, the perfect, like, time to remind people, like, you would want to practice that in a way that you can integrate that into something that you're playing. But, like, those are cool sounding moves. Right. And they're also closed. Mm-hmm. So they help you, like, play through maybe different types of progressions where you can't use as many open strings or, or right. something like that. Yeah. So like same thing with, um, it's called the square roll or the double thumb roll is what I call it. Call it a mixed roll, yeah. Which is an even roll. Yeah. It's a four, it's a four roll. But same thing with that. Like what if those first two notes are on um, the G string? And now you can move those. Or like something I hear Bela do often, like let's say he's playing, this might be hard to demonstrate without like a backing rhythm, but say he's playing a group of four eighth notes Mm -hmm. and he'll only play, like this is something everyone's probably heard Bela do. He'll play notes on the second and third eighth note. So I don't know, I'll set it up so you can hear it, how it offsets. That's like a really Bela thing to do yeah, that sort of yeah. timing. But you can do that with like, you can fill it in with a roll. 
um, if you start with like the, if you once again offset it. So I'm still doing that. Except now it's on both on the first two notes are on the G string. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But now I'm going to alter it again and start on the like the D string. And you can get those Bela lines. Right. So like. And like I keep saying, that's not exceptionally. Music. I'm just sort of just messing around here, but uh, but it works. Uh, you it, you it, can it, see the interesting. potential for it, right? I think. Yeah, it's a little bit of. It, I mean, it's rhythmic improvisation in a way that that catches your ear. I feel like it's something that. I feel like Matt Davis talked about that on his yeah, on his episode a lot. I love that. Yeah, uh -huh. and. Um, I feel like Ricky Meyer does that a lot too. He talks about his modes of rhythm, mm -hmm. which is an interesting thing as well, where he starts a roll on a different finger, but on the same beat. It's a cool way of thinking about things. Yeah. Yeah. It'll change a lot of things up. Mm -hmm. Similar to that, like I, th I think I've probably explained this to some people before, but um, another cool trick that I like, and this is really subtle, and this is like way more bluegrassy, but, and I don't even know if, I assume other people do this too, but the best way to demonstrate this is, so let's take like a forward-backward roll. You know, something that you would play like with like a forward-backward roll. But instead of a forward-backward roll, play the first four notes of a forward-backward roll. And now play what I call a double middle roll. Yeah. So that's a middle index, middle thumb. Right. Mm -hmm. So. And what that does is rather than you, you have this lick where everything's kind of on the beat. Da -da -dun, da -da -dun, dun. But if you substitute that other roll, you kind of get a jump accent out of it. Mm, it comes cool. in just a 16th note earlier. Yep. And it kind of gives it just a little extra, like, syncopation to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I like doing stuff like that. Oh, that's real cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so e even little stuff like that, I find exciting and try to, try to explore. So, like I said, I don't think that I do anything on the banjo that nobody has ever done, but... Um, I don't know. Those are the types of things that I think are cool. And I mean, if it's something that, if it's something that excites you and, and it excites the listener and, and it's something that, that, that makes you feel like there's a little bit extra something going on. It's, it's, it's good. Yeah. It's all just like more tricks to have in mm -hmm. your, in your arsenal. Mm -hmm. And of course it like, I'm telling this to myself as much as I am like preaching it to other people, but like, you still have to bring that all the way back around and be like, okay, I've explored the types of sounds that I get out of these things. But then you need to still go back to like, what does my ear want to hear? What is the best thing to play right now? But 
if there's the situation where that type of rhythm is the best thing that your ear wants to hear for that song that would serve mm -hmm. the song best, like now you know what to do. Right. Now you have ideas and like this somewhat of a vocabulary to work with. So how, how often do you use that with a, like take a simple melody and use that, that sort of rhythmic improvisation idea. How often do you do that? Like, let's say we take you are my sunshine again and let's, let's rhythmically improvise that as much as we possibly can. Okay. Um, with what, with which element? Just the melody notes. So push the melody notes around as much as you can. Okay. I got away from the melody, but I was trying to... That, know, was, I was that, was that was just trying to put some things in there. Idea, yeah. Like I said, I'm I'm saying it as much to myself as other people, so I don't necessarily have this like fully conceived way mm -hmm. of implementing it. But I would like to, and that's yeah, like, the kind of stuff that I work on. I like the role based um, aspect of it, like thinking about how we can we can take the just a standard role and change the change the strings that you're playing it on, or change the note that you're starting it on. Yeah. It's a really interesting way to think about it. It's cool. Um, what's your criteria for forming the like, you know, what 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 the what you pick for the little soundbite before the oh the little like lead-in mm -hmm. quote thing? Yeah, there it is. There are two different things that I listen for. One might be like if they have a moment where they just like perfectly distill their approach mm -hmm. or like feelings about playing banjo. If they say something like, my life just revolves around banjo and everything I do, I eat, sleep in banjo and it just means the world to me. And if I never do anything else with my life other than sit on my couch and play banjo, I'll be a happy man. You know, maybe they say something like really definitive sure. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other times I just sort of keep my ear out for something that would sound really funny out of context. Right. Yeah, yeah, I've, and, I've noticed that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them are are kind of goofy little asides. They seem like... Yeah, in, in a way that is like, that sounded really funny, even though I have no idea what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that makes you want to listen and find out what that thing is sure. that they were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it has that effect, if people like notice when they listen like oh that's the thing that he was saying in th it at does. the beginning no, i think that's okay. a good way of leading people in for okay. sure yeah cool. i'm glad to have that input um those yeah those are the two things like and i just sort of while i'm editing that's always in the back of my mind of like would that be a good little snippet mm -hmm. and sometimes i have both sometimes they say something profound and something funny and i need to be like oh which way do i go with this and I just, whatever, go with my gut, I guess. But no, that's always fun, especially if they say something really funny. Like I, my mind's going blank of like different, different lead-ins, but I know some of them have, have been like pretty humorous. Sure. Th there's no specific criteria, but those are, those are, that's what I listen for.
Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. I hope you really enjoyed getting to know Keith Billick a little bit more. You heard some sound clips in the show. Those were Floating the Buffalo by Jacob Groupman and Joshua Roko, Traveling Prayer by Dolly Parton, Cold Mountain Rain by Hot Tomitty, The Farm by Lindsay Liu, Hats Off by Lindsay Liu and the Flatbellies, Leaves and Pods by Lindsay Liu and the Flatbellies, In My Arms by Wilson Thicket, and This December by Wilson Thicket. Thanks again to Stephen Reese for supporting the show. I'm Davy Jones. Thanks so much. <laughs>